Welcome back to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hi, Chris, how are you? I'm good, Rachel. I'm so happy to be here today. I can't wait to talk about what we're gonna talk about today. This is gonna be awesome. I know. So first I wanna share a really funny story. Um, I've been working with a kiddo and the other day I saw this little girl in my office in the morning and I typically see her in the afternoon. And so of course, naturally in the morning, I have a huge cup of coffee next to me and you know, we were working and doing our thing. And all of a sudden she started hitting, Ooh, Ooh. And I'm like, what is happening? I'm like, why is she saying, Ooh, and she's laughing. And then I realized she hated the smell of coffee. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, she doesn't like the coffee. And so I like got the coffee closer and she was backing away. And it was so interesting. And of course, so I started like working on, you know, some building off of that, right? Like, ooh, that's stinky. And all these like really cool comments to talk about that experience, right? Um, so then it just got me thinking, how can I use smell? Because I feel like it's either you love a smell or you hate a smell. Um, and there's a lot of aversive smells that I was like, okay, like she hates coffee. Like what are the things that can I think about? You know, when you start thinking outside of the, just getting kids to request, it's really so fun to think about all the different opportunities you have to talk about things that you might not have ever think about. Um, we work on, we've worked on Ooh for a long time with like, you know, sticky Play-Dohs, like a uh, slimy stuff. And, you know, Ooh's like a, a really fun one. And oftentimes we'll get, get kids really excited and laughing. Um, so I was one, so excited that she carried that over to something that was novel. Um, and then, you know, we built off of that and we started talking about like, Ooh, that's stinky. And now it's like a joke. So I don't see her with my coffee anymore, but like she'll come in and she'll be like, Ooh, that's stinky. Rachel's stinky. I'm like, I'm not stinky anymore. Okay. Like that was a one-time thing and that was coffee. And it's just, it's, it's so funny though. (laughs) You know, what I just love about that whole story is the fact that you targeted you as a word for her to know, right? I mean, you had to place that on there. Yep. And those are the kinds of things that kids say, right? They're excited to be like, ew, and they laugh and they think it's so funny. You know, if we're not teaching kids how to say age appropriate language, like we're not doing our job. So I just, it's, it's, it's really, and it's so great because she clearly was so motivated. And when I have a child who's really connecting with me and laughing and having fun, I mean, that's what makes our job so, so rewarding. And that's what solidifies these language concepts, right? You know, I could teach, ooh, you know, in association with things that didn't mean anything to her, but in her actual experiences, instead of saying, you know, I want slime or no slime, um, we say, ooh, slime. That is so great. Now let me ask, what's your access method? Yes, she's using her finger, um, direct select. And um, it's really interesting how sometimes I feel like for kids, commenting is somewhat challenging. Um, You know, I think that we are constantly modeling and I'm constantly encouraging teams to model commenting. Um, But sometimes it it transforms into a request, right? So we say like, I like something or I like that. And then I've had kids that overgeneralize that because they say, I like glue. And it's like, oh, okay. Like, and then they get the glue, right? And so it just becomes another way to request something. So it's really interesting to think about how can we use commenting and model commenting in ways that are novel and not necessarily for a reward. Um, And we've talked about kind of intrinsic motivation. And um, I think it's important when you're thinking about commenting, but it's also really important to just start targeting right, right, right away. Um, You know, I think oftentimes there's this idea in our head, like, well, first we need to get functional communication. And I'm putting functional communication in air quotes, because like, what does that mean? You know, like, obviously, yes, we want our children to have their needs met. But language is so much more than that. 
If we wait until they have functional communication, we're really missing the boat. Um, you know, we can just model language throughout the day and make sure that we're modeling all different kinds of language. It's so important to remember, and it's easy to get stuck in requesting because that's the most motivating oftentimes for kids. But you can find other things that are really motivating that are beyond simple requests. Yeah. You know, when you say commenting and you say modeling, that seems to be one of the easier things for me to do as a communication partner. Meaning when I'm sitting next to a student and we're sharing snacks together or we're coloring together or whatever the activity is, I can always say, I like it or good or not good. Those are all comments on the experience that we're having together. And so it's an easy way to change the pragmatics or give a different pragmatic function besides like you said, requesting, which is so often where we get stuck. Exactly. I could talk about this all day long, but I'm really excited about our episode today. So before we start talking about the amazing interview that you did, Chris, I want to talk about your book because there's some, some new information about your book and I want everybody on the podcast to know about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So thanks, uh, Rachel. Uh, so my book, uh, The New Assistive Tech, Make Learning Awesome for All, I was at the FETC conference. I actually met with my editor, who I didn't know she was going to be there. We just kind of ran into each other. I was like, oh, you're here. Hey, can we sit down and chat for a few minutes? And what she told me was something that I didn't know, which is that it is currently the second best-selling book in their ISTE catalog. So there's, I forget what the number one best-selling book in their catalog is, but I know the number two is the new assistive tech. So that was pretty exciting news. The book is fantastic, Chris. I have it literally on my bookshelf. I can open my closet and you can see it. I would highly recommend it. I just love all of the insight and it's not just related to AAC. It's a lot broader than that, but there's such great takeaways. And of course, like everything you do, it's fun. So I would just highly recommend all of our listeners to check it out because it's just simply fantastic. Put the link in the show notes, right? I think it's bit.ly slash the new AT for all. And it doesn't matter if you put the numeral for or the word for, it's going to work either way. Amazing. Okay, Chris. So let's just dive into the interview. Um, tell us about who you interviewed. And I'm really excited because this is a area that I'm exploring and learning more about. Um, and so I would love to, to hear about the interview that you did. Well, sure. You know, this is uh, new to me too, really. Uh, the, the person that I talked to is Kelly Fawner. And Kelly Fawner is sort of a legend in the field of assistive technology. Uh, she definitely uh, workshops and has been kind of a staple in the AT community since the AT community was born, if you will. And what she is uh, talks about in this interview is specific to pod. We felt like we needed an episode. You and I have mentioned it. We've had Karen Owens from We Speak Pod on the podcast, but we wanted to kind of get into the what is it exactly for people that aren't really familiar with it. Yeah. And it's just, um, it's, it's a completely different approach, right? It's, it's very good for specific kinds of cases and it organizes the language in a very specific way, um, which is really interesting to me. And it's also really good for kids with access issues. I've talked on the podcast before about some of the challenging cases that I've had with access. So it's something that I'm, I'm, you know, desperately trying to find more information about. Um, so I'm definitely excited that we're having Kelly on to talk about it. Um, what are the, the takeaways for you from the interview? Oh, well, I mean, there's so many. If you don't know anything about Pod, then she is going to give you kind of the basics behind it. And, and also I asked her specifically, what are some of the pitfalls? Like people who don't know about it or starting to practice it, what are some common things that they run into when they uh, try and do Pod? 
Oh, and Rachel, one of the other things I think you mentioned is that how pod is often good for students that have access issues. Uh, the way it works is that you often have a book and that someone is pointing to words in a book and that's why we call it partner assisted scanning. They're scanning through pictures of the book saying, uh, is this is this the one? Is this the one? Is this one? Something like that. Uh, it'd be sort of like a pod-based system. That is sort of a different access method. Back to the, the the student you were talking about here at the beginning of the podcast, who is using direct select. So when we talk about access in general, just to codify things for people, I often think of access really in two formats. There's direct select and there's scanning. Now there's different pieces underneath each one of those because you have direct select with your finger but you could also be direct selecting with your eyes, you know, which we have often called eye gaze. But it is just, in, in my mind, I often think of it as it's just a different form of direct select. It's just part of your body you're direct selecting with, you know. And then the scanning is, there's visual scanning where you see some sort of colored overlay or maybe outline that goes over a chunk of words or a space on your ice. And then it breaks down to individual words. And then there's auditory scanning, which it might say those words out loud for you so you can hear them as they're being said out loud. And then you use a switch to select the one that you want. Uh, and those are kind of the, the two big access components that I think of. Am I, what do you think, Rachel? Am I missing anything? No, and I love the way you kind of frame that. It's direct select or it's scanning. Um, because uh, like you said, we can direct select with lots of different uh, parts of our body um, and switches and things like that. I'm really interested, actually. I would highly recommend if you haven't listened to the Karen Owens podcast episode, go back. Um, she's fantastic. And her YouTube channel is wonderful. Um, it's called We Speak Pod. And she shows you. I think it's it's hard to kind of conceptualize a pod-based uh, communication system unless you actually see it. And so her YouTube channel is fantastic because she goes, um, you know, there's tons and tons of videos about pod and how to incorporate language. And um, she talks a lot about it on the podcast, but I would definitely recommend going and watching her YouTube channel. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about pod, which we're about to in this interview, uh, we're talking about using partner assisted scanning. So the auditory is usually coming from communication partner. You know, now that I think about it, Rachel, there's two other little aspects of, of access maybe to also talk about, and maybe this goes a little bit more with direct select, but um, I often think of word prediction and word completion as two components that have to do with access. Meaning if I was using a system where I was typing out letters, do I need to type out the entire word or could my system know what I'm going to type out and give me some selections, you know? Uh, give me some options. And that's word prediction. I know we use it on uh, text messages all the time. Uh, Google uses it when you start typing in Google. And then the other option there is something called word completion. So uh, as you're typing out words, it auto-completes it for you. That's sort of like if you've ever done a search in Camp Words for Life, it auto-completes for you. Like there's only so many words that start with G-I-R-A. You probably need giraffe. I'm just going to fill in giraffe. For you. It completes it for you. So I have a question actually, um, because I, I want to pick your assistive tech brain. I have some kiddos and I'm really trying to get them to utilize word prediction because I feel like they're typing. And like you said, we don't need to type out every letter when there are you know, options that come up and we can select from those. Um, besides, I, I'm constantly trying to get children to look to the word prediction. Um, besides kind of pointing to it and giving verbal prompts, are there any other tricks that you have to get kids thinking through the lens of word prediction? Because I feel like sometimes kids pick it up really quickly and other times it just feels like I keep trying 
trying to show them the word prediction, but they're kind of stuck and fixated on like, I want to sell out this entire word. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I find is the same sort of uh, issue I have when I try and use word prediction. I am somebody that can use a keyboard, right? And I'm actually faster at typing out the entire word than I am at stopping and looking through a list of words and selecting one, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think kids are in that same mentality that, I mean, depending where they are, you know, that I would rather learn to spell the entire word and get my thought out and get the word spelled by typing it out and stopping in mid-thought and trying to find the word. So uh, it's a skill that you have to learn in practice. Rachel, another issue with the with word prediction is that again, this kind of goes back to motor planning. If you're faster at, at typing out the word, you're using your motor planning, right? You're, it becomes your motor memory, and you can just type it faster. Stopping and looking for where the words are make it more difficult to maybe to rely on that because it's not always going to be in the same space. You know, if, if you can imagine word prediction at the top of an AAC app uh, might have six spots or maybe eight spots, eight slots where words could go, depending on what you're typing, the same word might appear in different slots or different spaces up there. So you can't always go to the top right one to get that word. You have to stop, read the words, immediately recognize them with your eyes, and then choose that one and that can be just a very slow, laborious process. So one strategy would be to limit the number of actions there. Rather than having, let's say, eight slots, what if we only had four? Well, now I don't have to visually scan through as many. You know, uh, That could be a way to go. And then eventually, as you get used to that skill of identifying words up there, well, maybe I'll, I'll go from four to six to eight or however slots I can fit at the top of the screen. I love that. The other time I find where prediction is incredibly valuable is when children are struggling with spelling. So when they are, you know, keep going back and forth and like, you know, sounding it out, I'm sure in their head and trying to figure out how to spell it, uh, word prediction can be really, really helpful. Um, and so I would definitely encourage, um, you know, word prediction for that situation. Um, I don't think it's as important or necessary. Um, I think it's individual. So some kids, they pick it up really quickly and they love using word prediction. Um, but I think it's valuable for all children who are having a hard time spelling and going off of that, Something that is so important to teach as a compensatory strategy is to ask for spelling help. Um, and that's something that I, I do with a lot of the AAC users that I work with. Um, you know, you can see, you can see them trying to type a word out and they get stuck and they keep going back and, you know, revising. And then they end up getting either frustrated or they completely abandon it, right? And so instead of that leading to frustration and, you know, feeling like, oh, I can't do this making sure kids know how to ask for spelling help. And so oftentimes I'll do like a visual cue. Um, like, oh, it looks like you need spelling help. Um, so first just getting them to either touch the, the cue card that says spelling help. Um, sometimes with some of the devices, I can program that actual, like I need spelling help, that quick fire phrase into the device. But it's really important to help kids advocate for spelling. Um, and then I can transition to, you know, for some of the kids that I work with who are verbal and then they are able to use, you know, verbal communication, they can say like fill in the blank. Um, and it's just been such a great strategy to teach kids um, to empower them, you know, because a typically developing kid, they need spelling help too, you know? So kids are oftentimes saying, oh, unicorn, spell a unicorn. Um, so we need to be able to give kids with devices that same access um, and compensatory phrase. Um, so that's just something else that I work with kids. And I find word prediction is so valuable in that situation. 
Wait a second. You think kids who use communication devices should learn be learning how to spell? Yes, I do, Chris Bouquet. You know why? Because we need to be supporting literacy very early on, which if you listen to our podcast, you know we feel very strongly about literacy um, and teaching these things. I can't tell you how many kids I've worked with, teachers, even parents sometimes, I'll, I'll say, oh, like, let's start working on typing, um, you know, or spelling. And they'll say, oh, well, I don't think he's there yet. And I said, well, he'll never be there if we don't start. Um, and I've just seen amazing, amazing things happen. Um, you know, obviously you start small and you build your way up. And oftentimes kids, especially kids with motor planning issues, they have a really hard time with writing, like handwriting. And if we can use technology to help support that, um, I just think it's really, really valuable. We don't need kids to have to be formulating their, their thoughts and formulating the language along with this super hard motor task of handwriting. Um, that's where technology is so valuable. Not to say that handwriting is not important because I definitely think it is, but I think that we need to separate, you know, when we're asking a child to practice handwriting versus when we're asking a child to formulate language. Um, and I think those two things together for some kids, very challenging. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is you break those apart into separate activities so that one is not relying on the other. I think that's a great, great idea. Yeah. Sorry, I'm like out of breath. <laughs> I've had too much coffee. <laughs> uh, so one other thing, just to, to bring us back to the access point here for a second, is, is the idea that no matter what access method you're using, whether it's direct select with your fingers or direct select with your eyes or um, using scanning, uh, we, we tend to try and keep the words in the same spot. If you move them around, it makes it harder to do your scanning. You know, if if it used to take three hits of a switch to get to a word and we move it around to make it five hits, well, now you're going to kind of screw that up. It doesn't matter whether it's direct select or scanning. You try and keep the words in the same spot. Yes. Motor planning is incredibly important for cases where there's access issues because those motor plans are really hard um, to develop. And so I think that's a really good point. Um, I think we always need to be taking into consideration motor planning. But that's a, that's a whole other episode, I think, um, which we have. So please listen to that, that episode if you are like motor planning, say what? Um, so I'm really excited for this interview, Chris. Uh, before we head into it, I wanted to talk about the conference that we just presented at. Um, we just had a webinar um, for new grads and individuals who are really interested in learning about the foundations of AAC. Um, we did the ABCs of AAC last week, and it was so much fun. It totally was. If you were one of the people that came to that session, thank you so much for being there. Rachel, we had a great time. We went through the entire alphabet together, just picking a letter and what that letter, we gave it a word that had to do with AAC. And then we described what that concept was. And uh, on time, people were, were asking tons of questions and it was just really good. Yeah. And we also have been transforming some of our podcasts to professional development courses. So if you listen to our podcast, you can now earn CEU credits. If you go to the Exceptional Ed website, which we will link to in the show notes, um, you can simply listen to the episode and then go take a 10 question quiz and you can earn an hour CEU. Um, so you can access the ABCs of AAC. We also have one on core words um, with many more to come. So be sure to check it out if you are in need of CEU credits. Without further ado, let's head into the interview that Chris did with Kelly Foner.
Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question. What is communication? Well, welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Kelly Fawner. How you doing, Kelly? I'm doing pretty good. It's snowing. <laughs> You're up in Wisconsin, is that right? Yes, I live in Wisconsin, but I tell people it's mostly out of Gate 65 at the Milwaukee Airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do quite a bit of presentations, right? Traveling around? I do traveling to present. I also have some school systems that I consult with on a regular basis. Um, I was just in Texas last week, so it's all around the place. Well, tell people who don't know about you. I mean, you and I have known each other for a couple of years now. You've been kind of a, a staple in the assistive technology community for, for years and years. So tell people what you do and who, who might not have heard of you yet. That's another word for old person. Um, veteran. Yeah, I'm, veteran. A <laughs> I'm a special education teacher. I actually got started in assistive technology being a pair pro for Philadelphia Easter Seals. And I was assigned to a student that had multiple disabilities and he went for an augmentative communication evaluation. And I went along with his mom for that evaluation. And that's how I got started. And so it was the, I call it the Tim Gunn moment, the make it work. And so everything that kind of came into that student's life, I had to learn about. And so it was communication boards and then it was communication devices and mounting systems and software programs. And then at Easter Seals, we were, um, I was in Pennsylvania and we were a part of some grant programs. So we got technology. And so I started learning how to adapt computers. And it actually started to turn in from my special education teaching job, started to turn into what was then called instructional technology. And so doing the educational technology and learning how to adapt computers for kids with physical challenges and then also all the communication things. So that's how I got started in all of this. And now it's kind of uh, morphed into you consulting and, and going all over the place, right? I mean, you do lots of presentations. And like you said, you consult with a school district. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. For 10 years, I worked for the Department of Ed in Pennsylvania. And then for the last 18 years, I've worked for myself. Um, I came and did some jobs at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee for some grant projects and then started my own business in, the, in my other time. And yeah, so I do training and consulting. About half my business is augmentative and alternative communication and the other half is literacy. So the electronic reading and writing tools and they merge very nicely. Can't have one without the other. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's something we, we talk about frequently on the podcast is literacy tied to augmentative communication. So, but we asked you on today to talk about something very specific because I know that you travel around and you talk about pod, right? You're a pod certified trainer. Uh, how did you first learn about pod? What's, uh, uh, what was your background with it? So I first learned about pod when I was presenting in Australia and Gail Porter and some of her colleagues that are the creators of pod here in the United States. A lot of people know Linda Burkhardt because Linda was the brilliant person that brought pod across the big pond from Australia. She was the first certified presenter here in the U S and now we have um, eight 
presenters here in the United States that have gone through the certification process. So there's always a pod training going on at least one every month somewhere in the United States because we have pod trainers from Maryland, um, North Carolina, people up in Michigan. We have people out in Colorado and of course in Wisconsin. Um, and so I first learned about it by going to a presentation by Gail Porter, and she kind of pulled me in and said, hey, I want to show you what we've been doing here. And it really was what she and her colleagues had created using BoardMaker, which many of us use, to create communication boards. But they had systematically looked at children from early language up into, you know, adding all of the different kinds of language components as we look at it, as kids grow um, and making sure that there was a continuity to the communication boards and multiple page boards that we were giving to kids. And that was a really unique way of looking at things, that it wasn't from the adult's point of view of what do we like, what do we know, what's our new, you know, cool app that we want to use, but it was about from the student's perspective. And they were doing it both printed boards. A lot of people think that that pod is just print, but it's also electronic. So they were programming pod page sets into kids join box systems and into whatever systems that students currently had. And, you know, and, and it is as an app as well. So let's say you and I are making the assumption right now that people know what pod is. I just let off saying, Hey, pod, what, what does pod stand for? And then let's talk about that design a little bit. Um, you said how it's consistent. Can you describe it a little bit more? And sure. Pod stands for pragmatically organized dynamic displays. And some people think that anything that's a flip book that has some tabs on it is a pod. And so when you do a search on, you know, the internet or you do a search out on um, Pinterest, especially, um, or even on BoardMaker Share, if you do a search on pod, some of the things that come up are not truly pod. Um, they aren't organized primatically. They might just be organized by categories or they might be organized by activities. In a true pod organized book, we look at why we say what we say, that it's all about the pragmatics of how we speak and what we're saying. And so from the really early language levels of a pod book, it's about chatting and the words that we say out and about all around the place. So it's a mixture of core words and social words. And from there, you start to get more deeply into the vocabulary set. So then you start to get down into categories of words that might be um, based upon activities. And then you'll get into some words that are based upon taxonomy. So it's a, it's a mixture of both things that people have in traditional flipbooks. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And so P is for pragmatics. O is for the organization, how it's organized, because it's organized pragmatically or in, in could you exchange different pod? I don't want to say books because you said it's not just a book, but you said it could be a, it could be digital as well. So are they sort of exchangeable, interchangeable, like, like, a, like a lamp, you know, yes, there could be customizations, but there's a root kind of base or unity is kind of there's a base or even prolo quo there's kind of a base way it's set up um and then there's customizations is that how pod books are organized or where it's kind of the same for everybody exactly there's a standard 
book that you start with because then that sets your language structure. You don't have to rethink that. You don't have to start from scratch. Um, and so the books are set up based upon the number of, of symbols per page that you might need based upon visual presentation, physical presentation, early language years. They do have a really thorough document that goes with each of the books. With the templates that are available right now in America that have been around since 2008, there are 14 different templates that go everywhere from nine symbols per page to 100 symbols per two-page book. Or there's two pages plus a side panel that has all your categories and how you move around within the book. But those books all have informational pages with them and it talks about what's the language level of this book so it gives you good assessment information about where to start so not everybody ever has to start with like a nine location pod pods books are named based upon the number of pages that you see at one time like a one page book or a two page book or a two page and a side panel and the number of symbols so you might have a one page nine pod or a one page 20 pod okay. or a two page 40 pod. So you'll kind of see that the naming structure fits that way. Why would someone consider using pod? What's different about that system than using a dynamic splated device? Like if you were doing a feature matching discussion and you're, you're all sitting around the table trying to decide what, uh, what your primary communication system is going to be, what might be some of the indicators to say, yeah, we should be thinking about pod here. This is one of my favorite questions to look at with POD um, because it isn't one of those things of what's better or what's worse, right? It is about feature matching. And that piece in POD is about the pragmatics. And especially for children that don't have a structure about categories yet. So many of our AAC systems, whether they're a flip book or it's an app, are based upon children knowing categories to move around the language, to be able to find their words. Mm -hmm. Versus within a pod book, it's about what we've got to say. And so on the first pages of the entry level pod books, kind of the one page opening books, the early language books, it's just about chatting. And so you have words that are, you know, ah, uh, you have some of your basic core words, I and you and like and no and more and finished, but you also have social words like come here and go away and stop it and those kinds of things and wait. And then if you have want to say something else, you have more to say. And this becomes the key to the dynamic display that gets you into the vocabulary. And what the next thing that you come into is not a structure based upon animals, emotions, colors, these kinds of things that other systems might have, but more about what have you got to say? I like something. I don't like something. Something's wrong. You know, um, I want to tell you something. I want to show you something. I like it. I want to do an activity. And those become the way that you move through the vocabulary system based upon what you're talking about. So just like the other systems where we use a lot of modeling and language-aided input, now when you do that, it's about what you're saying. And so for really young children or early language learners, 
it's about the message, not about find the word. Yeah. Yeah. How do you move away from requesting? Like all we do is requesting and pod is, it, it sort of stymies that question before it ever gets started because it's built around all the pragmatic functions, not just, not just requesting, right? Yes. We put a big emphasis on commenting and, you know, complaining. If you have a, somebody that's a big complainer or if, you know, if something's wrong, you really want to get to the heart of what's going on with somebody and get to, you know, if something's wrong and something hurts and, and that just leads you through the vocabulary and the way the book gets flipped or in the app, the way the pages get turned you know, electronically get turned is, you know, if something's wrong, that leads you to the something's wrong page. And if something's in pain, that leads you to the body part page. So you don't even have to know where body parts are in the system. It just gets you to that piece because that's what you've got to say about it. You know, and if you like something, you know, it's not for some kids, you know, saying the word like as a core word is okay. But other kids want to say, you know, it's amazing. It's fabulous. It's the best ever. You know, they have words that they really, really want to use to emphasize. And it shows their personality. And we can get into that really quickly with pod. Yeah, yeah. Where that'd be a a couple more hits to get to those words, if they're even involved in the system at all. Exactly. Uh, Well, let me ask you, the, the majority of pod users, the way you're describing it, it sounds like people use it in conjunction with someone else. I mean, all communication is, is usually with someone else or you're just talking to yourself. But in this case with pod, tell me if I'm wrong here. But it sort of helps with aided language stimulation because the person who's the communication partner is also using the book. I mean, it's sort of designed that way. Am I thinking of it right? Yes, you are. One of the kind of rules of pod is they talk, you turn. So this the child is talking with the book and the adult is turning the pages so that the child, the student, whoever's communicating with the system isn't getting so focused on the physical act of turning the page. And so they're more about that what they have to say. Um, we do have kids that eventually do turn their own pages. I've got several kids that turn their own pages, but by then we're, they're usually also using the app and then the app turns the page and we don't have to worry about that. So we get much more focused on the autonomy of this child's message, them creating their own message, then the independence of how that message gets created. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. Do you find many communication partners, I mean, when you're doing the aided language stimulation, they're pointing to the pictures as they're saying what they want to say to the, to the user. I mean, they're both, they're both users in that way. They're both users. And one of the things, because with the pod book, you are physically turning the pages. What I have found with some of my teams, it makes them do more aided language stimulation than they have with other systems. I think sometimes with some of the electronic systems, they tend to turn on the app and put it in front of the kid and, you know, just think that it's magically through some osmosis going to happen. Or can I like to say that you know, a kid is going to spontaneously combust and start using that just because it seems to be exciting, but it's more about the message that goes back and forth with people. And I think when you have that human to human interaction and you can really see what's going on with a kid as you're turning the page. And I also am assessing while I'm using the printed book, you know, what's the app 
need to look like for this kid? How fast do the pages turn? Do they need to slide? Not all of our printed pod book users, as we add electronic to them, go to the pod app. I have kids that have, you know, added on into Proloquo to Go. They've added on to, you know, Lamp Words for Life. You know, they've used other systems. They've used Touch Chat. They've used, you know, with some of the um, setups in Touch Chat. So I've had kids on other systems. They don't necessarily all go into electronic pod. Let me make sure I understand that. So you're saying they might start with the book and then go to a device later on. Right. And what we like to say is that we add electronic to it so that we're not really moving away from their printed book. Almost all the pod book users that I've had keep their printed book as we add electronic to their system. So they have both with them. So, you know, when you're somewhere where the Wi-Fi is not working or your power goes down, you always have your printed system with you. Yeah, I think that's kind of a huge misnomer or a myth that, um, you know, AAC users, really any AAC user, they only use that system. You know, they only use that device. But, you know, I think about my own self, right? Sometimes I use the computer to talk to people and sometimes I use my phone and sometimes I use my hands and sometimes I use my mouth. I, I use all sorts of tools just like anyone else would. So just because they're an AAC user doesn't mean that they're only going to use that piece of equipment. So I really like that, 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 that the pod book is just a part of a larger system sometimes. Yes. And, you know, I try to take my cues from the most sophisticated AAC users that we have, and they've got a variety of systems. You'll see, you know, they'll have their hardcore AAC system that they use to speak in their workplace and with unfamiliar users. And then they might have, you know, a printed board, or they might have a lower tech system that's a spelling board, and they might have an AAC app. That's not their high powered, you know, device. And so they'll use a multiple set of systems and they'll choose based upon who they're talking to and where they are. Some people don't always want to talk out loud with their system in the middle of the workplace where everybody can hear them. You know, they'll turn the voice off or they'll go to a spelling board just so that somebody else will pay more attention to them if they think that they're, if people aren't paying attention to them. So one of the things that I have found that with using pod, kids get a sense of who's paying attention and who's not. And they learn a little bit more power that way with that interaction with people. Kelly, let me go back and ask you this, just because I think it might be confusing for some people. You mentioned that there were many different templates that you could, that you can get. So does a clinician or does a team build the, the pages on their own by dragging pictures in and, and or is there pre-made pod book that the templates are already done? Yeah, the best part is the templates are already done for those 14 books. That's the work that that Gail and her colleagues have done. And so Mayor Johnson sells the pod. Right now it's a CD set. I've seen it um, from the some of the newest versions that have come out in Australia have come out as a memory stick. Um, and so those setups are already done. All of the pages are, all the symbols are already on there. They come up in BoardMaker and all of the versions of BoardMaker from BoardMaker 5, 6, BoardMaker Plus, BoardMaker Online, BoardMaker Studio. Um, and then you upload whichever one that you want and then you can customize them from there. 
so you can add, you know, the people in their family and their favorite toys or their, you know, go to the food section and add the food that they want into that section so that you can do all that customizing and then you print the books out. You can either print them out yourself or what some people have been doing is saving them as a PDF and then taking that PDF file and print, getting them printed out at some of the office places or sending them to some of the places that are online and available to print them out. People have been getting into some of the special paper, um, some of the weatherproof paper that's available from TerraSlate and some other companies. So uh, yeah, uh, the chatter that's happened happens on the pod chat online and on the Facebook pages about how people are making their books. That's awesome. Ingenuity right there, right? I mean, that's awesome. It's awesome. Well, let me ask you this. Because you've been working with pod for a while and you said you have pod users, what are some pitfalls that people, you know, or mistakes people make when they're trying to implement pod that people, that our listeners would avoid? Oh, don't do this. Do this instead. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of things, probably the biggest pitfall is that people think they can just give first couple of pages. Like pod books have a lot of pages to them. If you think about the AAC, see apps there's a lot of pages to apps in ProLoco and you know if you would print any of those out or you would print out Unity like we have for some of my kids so that they've got a backup systems there's a lot of pages to those but people don't seem to get overwhelmed by that because it's electronic and it's all hidden mm -hmm. but when they see a pod book that's got 65 pages or 125 pages they're like oh way too much right and so then they think well I'm just going to give them the first couple of pages but that's not the implementation strategy at all. You know, it is to have the words there for when you need them, but maybe just start modeling on the first couple core word and social pages to start with those chat pages. So that's one of the pitfalls that people do. They get overwhelmed and then they think it's too much. The second is, is that they expect the kids to talk with the books right away. And that's the pitfall, you know, for so much with AAC, mm -hmm. you know, when they think, oh, you've been waiting to talk here, I'm just going to give this to you and you're going to use it. Um, and they forget about modeling and they forget how long it takes for, you know, any child to start communicating with the words of their life. Um, I have a seven-month-old granddaughter in our life right now. And, you know, I'm watching and really taking in how much everybody in Lola's life talks to her and talks to her and what things she's starting to come up with and, you know, the little things that she's starting to imitate and what people think that she's saying and what people feed back to her. And just taking cues from that and like, oh, I need to be, do a better job when children are babbling with their AAC and what feedback that we give to them. Um, I think those, those are the two big things that happen, you know, and then they quit too early, mm -hmm. you know, oh, this isn't working in two weeks. So let's go to something else, you yeah. know, and they don't give, they don't give kids enough time. All three of those, Kelly, I don't think are unique to pod. I think all three of those are every AAC app, you know, and too many words. It's too confusing for, for them. No, you need the words if you're going to model them. And then, yeah, I want to switch uh, systems because the, this system's not working. Well, uh, I mean, it takes at least a year typically for a, a kid to say their first word and then think how long we, we model. So yeah, we try and drill that home here on the podcast quite a bit. So. Yes. Yeah. At least it's, it's not anything different. It's just, I think people just get overwhelmed because in the printed pod book, it's all staring you right in the face 
versus in the electronic systems, it's all kind of hidden. So people don't think, oh, about how many thousands of words are there. So let's say I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, okay, I, I want to learn more about pod. What, where would they go? I mean, wh what's the next step for someone who's interested in learning more? We've tried to put links and blogs and places that you can get videos on podusa.com. So just all together, podusa.com, that'll get you the links to the trainers. There's a calendar of the trainings, but then on the links page, you'll see handouts. There's a nice set of handouts from people in the UK that are nice one-pagers about getting started. Um, and then there are some blogs that are run by parents, the We Speak Pod family, um, and there are some other uh, give the kid a chance, those kinds of things. Um, but so you'll see some families that have been doing some um, pod videos as their children have been using. I have in um, a family, sometimes it'll get into different groups like children who have Angelman syndrome or children who have Pitt Hopkins. Um, and you'll see some of those families really getting on board and supporting each other. Um, and you'll see some of the videos that have come out of their conferences where people have talked about pod um, and pod use. So we've tried to find as many links as we can and put it up on that site. Awesome. It sounds like an awesome resource for people. Just go in there and dive in and start exper experimenting with the links and learning from all the people that have come before you, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Kelly, let me ask you, let's just finish up with this kind of uh, big question that we like to ask is, having been in the field for a while and um, learning so much new stuff over the years, what are you, what's driving you right now? What are some questions you have that you want to learn more about or what, what, what's, what's, what's floating your boat recently? Well, I'm always driven by my, the kids whose cases that I'm on. So in addition to doing big trainings, I always have a couple of kids that I'm following. So I have some students that are using and starting to use eye gaze. So I've been following eye gaze for a long time and have done some projects with Toby with some eye gaze, but I'm really now looking at some of the instructional use of eye gaze. So I've been doing some things with inclusive TLC and some other companies with Crick and some of their products that are all eye gaze enabled. So I've been really looking to that and what we can do with eye gaze with students now and in the future. I'm always following that piece um, with it and what works and what might be too much and those kinds of things. I am huge on writing. And so the connection here of AAC and developing writing skills of our AAC talkers are really, you know, critical factor because one influences the other mm -hmm. so greatly. And I'm working on my LAMP Words for Life certification. So <laughs> I'm not, a lot of people think that I just do pod, but um, I do training with, with, uh, I have a, I had a touch chat project that I'm working with with some Illinois schools. Um, I, like I said, I'm starting my Words for Life um, certification process. So it's always a little bit of something. Never that's, dull. That's awesome. We, we might have to have you, on you again, have you on again to talk about the eye gaze stuff that you've been doing because that sounds oh. incredible. And it's something we haven't uh, tapped into a, quite enough here on the, on the podcast. So that, that would be great. Well, best of luck with the certifications. Let me ask you this. How do people get in contact with you if they wanted to reach out and you know, hire you for, for a consultation gig or to do a presentation or just ask a question? Sure. I have a website that's just my name. So it's www.kellyfodder.com. And then there are links to my email, my telephone numbers up there, a list of my presentations and different topics. 
Um, and then I always customize stuff for people as well. So it's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. I think this is really going to help a lot of people kind of wrap their brains about what pod is. And in, and maybe, hopefully, it'll help people kind of think, you know what, I, I should I should be considering this more. So, so thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Chris. Once again, uh, this is Chris Bouguet with Kelly Fauner for Talking With Tech. Thanks, everybody. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.